Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 this morning as we go to God's Word. I'm thinking about the tools uh, for life, the things that you need. If I were to say, uh, let's go right now, uh, and, or I'd call you at your house, and I'd say, let's go right now, and you'd say, oh, i got to grab what I need. What, what are the things that you need to leave the house? What are, what are, what's a checklist you go through in your mind? Your, your phone. Oh, your glasses. Good, I hadn't thought of that. I just can't see. I just uh, trust that you're out there somewhere. I appreciate when you have bright colors because I can see you better. Uh, your glasses. What else? Your, your phone. Somebody said your phone. The, the kids. Good, good. Yeah, don't leave the kids at home or locked in the car or anything like that. Uh, um, uh, your wallet. Uh, we have problems with these things in our house. You know, we, we don't... Uh, I fear uh, for my daughter-in-laws because I think I've passed down some of those uh, habits and traits that aren't good of losing my phone, my uh, keys, wallet. No, I don't know where any of these things are, or they're spread out throughout the house, and so it's uh, you know search and rescue uh, before I go. But the reason the reason we have this checklist in our mind of things we need. Some of you ladies have a purse, and it, it's kind of like. Um, uh, a deep well, a deep well that everything gets chucked into. And so uh, it's your gear bag that you bring with you. But it has all those things in it. And, and the reason you have this list in your mind is because you've forgotten these things in the past and you say, I can't do without them. These are the tools that I need uh, to go about my day or to go really anywhere. And so this morning, as I think about... Uh, these tools, every occupation has tools, right? You think of, uh, um, I, I often say that a, a pastor without a Bible is worthless, and uh, that's pretty much true. And uh, so the idea of, uh, as a pastor, I need a Bible, like that's, that's my most important tool. And a, as we think about uh, the occupation that you have, uh, a lot of you have computers that are very valuable in your work, or uh, you have hand tools. Uh, a carpenter has a hammer, and uh, if you don't have a hammer, you, you, you can't do much work. And so uh, every occupation has tools. And this morning, as we look at Philippians chapter 4, we're really going to be seeing the, the tools for the believer, the things that we have and need really every day, every day. And so uh, I'm excited to look at this with you this morning in Philippians chapter 4. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you, starting in chapter 4, verse 4. We looked at verse 4 last week. I want to read it again, and then down through verse 7. God's word says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Uh, we ask your blessing on it as we hear it now. May we hear it clearly and may it mark us, change us transform us into what you want us to be and what's best for us. God, we realize that the sinful life that uh, you have saved us from wasn't good for anybody. 
And so we need uh, your work to be done in us to change us into who uh, you desire us to be, who you saved us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as uh, we, we look to God's word, uh, I just want to review last week. If you're here last week, we talked about uh, being joyful or rejoicing, rejoicing, and, and the idea of rejoicing all the time, every time, every day, no matter what's going on. And uh, the peculiar passage in verse 4, uh, he says it twice, he repeats himself. And, and the idea of repeating himself when you're writing, uh, it, it adds extra emphasis. Because when you're writing, you can reread it. But he was not just expecting you to reread it. He was expecting you to hear it twice that you might understand that even in difficult situations, we are called to rejoice. Um, and I, I would say this, just connecting with last week. Uh, really the three pieces, the three tools that for the life of the believer is joyfulness. It starts out with joyfulness, and we connect that with last week. And so I, I want to tell you that uh, as you think about your life, your life in Christ, I, I, I want to really be careful to say this, that this is for those of you who have believed in Jesus Christ, you've trusted in him. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, uh, the door is not closed. All right, it's open. It's open that, that uh, God has grace for you and he wants you to be his child. Uh, as you think about the, really the good news of the gospel, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that the sins that you have committed, the things that you have done wrong, will be taken care of because of what Jesus did on the cross. And, and by you accepting and believing in that message, you'll become his child. You'll become his. And uh, you'll, your life will forever be connected uh, with Jesus because of what he did on your behalf. And you'll be clean from your sins. You don't have to. It, we sang some amazing songs today. Uh, and what a thrill it is to hear all the riches that we have in Jesus. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he did on our behalf. And so I want to tell you that for the life of the person who's trusted in Christ, the first thing that we need or have or tool that we should uh, cling to each and every day is the idea of joyfulness, joyfulness, that we would be joyful in all that's going on. And that's not just mustering it up. It's realizing the riches that we have in Christ, even if the circumstances down here don't necessarily uh, spark joy for us, the facts the truth of the gospel of what we have uh, can thrill our hearts and bring us joy in the midst of anything uh, that we're going through. Which brings us this morning to our study, uh, verse 5. Verse 5, and uh, this is a struggle for reasonableness. Can you use it in a sentence? Uh, uh, reasonableness, it's almost as if they made... Uh, a new word. And nobody uses that word. In fact, as I was struggling through and trying to understand in verse 5 what that means, it says, let your reasonableness in the ESV be known to everyone. Uh, you can look to other translations. And, and the reason that's, uh, I want to encourage you about something. If you don't know what a word means in the scripture, 
and you don't have your Greek New Testament with you, and if you have your Greek New Testament with you and you don't know Greek, okay, uh, a simple Bible study uh, would, would be good is for you to look at other translations and to see the, the best ones that you have available to you to see how they translated that word. Because what happens is this, is uh, Greek and Hebrew, for the most part, the whole Bible was written. And men who knew Greek and Hebrew, men and women, the, this is idea of the studiers, the ones who are scholarly, they translated the scripture from Greek and Hebrew to our English Bibles that we have today and other languages as well. But they, it's not like math. It's not like math. The translation is not like math. It's very contextual. There's a lot of variations. It's not one word to one word. So, so as they translate the scripture, they're always struggling to find the best possible word. And so if they use different words, you can see that they were struggling. What is this word in the English? ESV says reasonableness. Um, as we look to other translations, the, uh, the NIV says gentleness, as well as the New King James. Um, the, some of uh, commentators have said moderation. The New American Standard, which is a great translation. Forbearing spirit. Forbearing spirit. And let me try to uh, give you some background of how this word is used. It, it's, and if you study Greek, you'll know this. It's the idea of not freaking out. Okay? Freaking out. Okay? In the midst of the heat of the battle, not freaking out. Okay? As you, as you look at this word, the, the idea here is in the midst of emotional and pressure and the idea of even persecution, even persecution, not responding to that, not responding to that, not doing. So um, most of you know uh, about freaking out because you do it every once in a while, okay? Some of you more often than others, right? And, and what you're doing is, in your mind, your mind, you're going, I can, I can be calm. I can be calm. I cannot freak out. I, I'm fine. When everything's going fine, I'm fine. And then, and then you get a phone call. And then you don't get your way. And then uh, something enters into your life that wasn't on your schedule. Wasn't on your schedule. Some of you love your schedule. And when your schedule gets mixed up, messed up and mixed up, it only seems right. It only seems right. The great response that is reasonable to you is freaking out. But the idea here of this word is, is that uh, we respond properly no, no matter what's going on. The idea that forbearing spirit, the one that e- even in the midst of chaos... We don't respond in like kind. Uh, this word is used in secular writings to making proper judgments. You can picture uh, a judge sitting on his bench making uh, decisions about people's lives. And uh, he, one day he just comes in and he, uh, you know, somebody says, I got a traffic ticket uh, and I, I really didn't feel like I deserved it. And he says, okay, 15 years. <laughs> Go. He's like, what is going on uh, off with his head? You know, uh, uh, and, and you say, well, why would he do that? He said, well, uh, he didn't sleep well last night. 
His wife's mad at him. His wife's leaving him. Uh, his kids aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. He, he's feeling really sick today. And so, it, it, you know, he doesn't feel well. So he's just basing what his feelings are. He's making judgments and he's living life. And he says this. In this passage, he, he says, first of all, he says, last week, joyfulness. This week, gentleness or forbearing spirit or reasonableness. It's part of who we are. It's a mark of us. It's this idea that we are not people that freak out. We're not people, uh, as, as the world presses in on us, we don't respond uh, with a crazy response. We, we have a gentle response under the pressure of persecution and even mistreatment. Uh, it's the opposite of this freaking out. We can still make sound judgments uh, when things are uh, not ideal. Uh, we're not people who exact revenge. Uh, we're not people who emotionally respond. There, there was a, a situation I knew of a, a few years ago, many years ago. Uh, none of you probably know this person, so don't try to figure out who it is. Um, many years ago, as I was a youth pastor, first few years I was here, I was connected, met some people through the community and church. And um, one man, he said, you know, I had a terrible day, a terrible day. And I said, well, what was wrong with your day? And he says, well, uh, you know, I bought a new printer. And by the way, when you buy new things, it should be a good day, right? Uh, it's temporary, but it should be a good day, right? And he says, no, I had a bad day. And he says, well, well what happened? He says, well, I got this new printer and I plugged it in and it didn't work. I tried to print and you know, I, I spent some time on it and I tried and I thought more and I read some things and I tried and I tried and it was so frustrating to me. I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I took a hammer and I just wham, wham, wham. And I just destroyed my new printer. And I was thinking, I understand why he did that. Like I've had those situations where I, yeah, I had the, I knew that there was a simple answer to it. I just didn't have that simple answer. And I understand the pressure of wanting to accomplish something and not being able to do it. Uh, but the response of wrecking your printer, your brand new printer with a hammer, uh, probably isn't the best idea, okay? It probably doesn't display what we're talking about in this passage of reasonableness, right? Gentleness, this idea that we are not responding uh, to the persecutions and the pressures around us. In this passage, it says, let, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. To everyone. And who, who are the everyone? It's the everyone around you, right? Uh, it's your people around you. It's your coworkers, right? They should know, they should know something about you that uh, there's this calm confidence of something strong inside you. That you're not one who freaks out under pressure. He says, you know, let it be known to everyone the people you interact with. Um, for those of us who are married, it should be your spouse, right? Your spouse should know that your relationship with God governs what's going on inside of you. That your gentleness doesn't come out of you being a gentle person. It comes out of this idea that God is in control of your heart and life. It should also be your kids, your kids, your kids should know 
you know, kids don't know how to act. Uh, they, they come uh, learning, learning what it is to deal with life. That's why God gave them parents uh, to show them the way. And so what is the way? The, the way is this, that we would uh, gently, in a reasonable fashion, the, this idea that under pressure we still walk with the Lord. This is the picture of God's word uh, for you and for me that our kids might know. People at church, people, you know, the grocery store, anywhere we are, the, those people who know the Lord, know the Lord, should say, aha, that's what it looks like. Those who don't know the Lord should say, aha, I guess that's what it's supposed to look like if someone has a relationship with God. I think sometimes uh, our kids, our spouse, the people in church, neighbors, little league parents, whatever it is, um, sometimes they look at us as believers and they say, everything's great until they don't get what they want. You know, they're fine until the life doesn't go their way. When somebody doesn't agree with them, maybe, maybe that, that's when it really shows what's going on inside of them. And so uh, this tool that God has given us and granted us and said so the thing that you can't really live without is this idea of reasonableness, the idea of gentleness, that we can respond correctly even in the midst of the pressures of life and even persecutions of life, even mistreatment in life. There's something that this shows, um, and it's interesting, just as difficult maybe as the word reasonableness is to translate, is uh, to understand what it means that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand, uh, most likely, is the idea that He's coming again. He's coming again. He is ready to come. He is ready to come. Uh, We know because of the scriptures, that the Lord just didn't save us. He saved us, and He is coming back for us. Uh, And this idea is throughout the New Testament, really uh, the plan of God throughout scripture, but this idea that the Lord is coming back, and the idea that the Lord is coming back has important implications on how you live today. If the Lord isn't coming back, what does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter how we live? And, and in this passage, most likely this idea the Lord is at hand isn't just that the Lord is watching, but that He is coming back. He is coming back. And this idea that He is coming back uh, opens up a whole beautiful can of worms, right? The idea that He's coming back should be exciting for us. Why? Because we have a relationship and He's coming back for us. But what else is that, you know, when he comes back, all the things that are difficult for us down here will be gone, right? So we can point not just that he's coming back for us, but that that signals the end of persecution, the end of difficulties, the end of mistreatment. And so there's this idea that that thought gets us through and it's the idea that that when we go through difficult times... Uh, we can still smile and go, I can handle this. 
because this won't be forever. The Lord is at hand. But, but the picture is this, that our gentleness or our reasonableness points everyone to know, for, for everyone to know, it, it points them as well, that they would know that the Lord's coming back again. That this is for us, uh, the thing for us to remember in the midst of difficult times. The Lord is near. He is, his, his nearness and His returning um, is that which we live in light of today, the return of the Lord. I want to tell you, how, how do you get through your day? How do you get through your day if it's difficult? I know some of you are dealing with some extremely difficult things. And maybe some of you are just tired. You're just tired. You say, this life is too long. This life is too long. It's difficult. And maybe those last few laps around the track are seeming longer than the, the ones in the beginning. And what is the thought that can encourage you is this, the nearness of the Lord. That his return, it, it won't be forever. It won't be forever. And in a moment, be, as he returns or you go to be with him, uh, you'll leave the problems of this life behind. And so uh, we can respond with this beautiful gentleness or forbearing spirit and that people will know uh, that they have some, something that we don't have. They, they have a, a strength that we don't have. They, they know uh, part of the plan coming up encourages them today to know that it's all right and I can handle this. I don't have to flip out and respond in like kind. I think often um, uh, we have the attitude of children uh, where you find children uh, fighting on the playground. And, uh, and the teacher, the yard dude, grabs them and pulls them apart and says, what's going on here? And every conversation like this from the beginning of time, Moses said this when he was fighting with his friends in the Old Testament. We don't have record of it, but... He hit me first. He hit me first. And when we say he hit me first, what are we saying? He deserved me hitting him back. It was, it was the only righteous thing to do, right? Justice had to prevail. Uh, and I, I want to encourage you, that's not the picture of God's people. Uh, if our life is difficult our life is difficult we respond in the lord we respond in light of the lord in the light of his return uh, his reasonableness which brings us to verse six and i would say uh, prayerfulness okay so joyfulness reasonableness if you can use that word and prayerfulness um this last one is uh kind of wider and bigger and more explanation than the others uh and these are direct. These are three things. You know, uh, they're separate, but obviously connected in the Lord. This idea of joyfulness, reasonableness, gentleness, or whatever you want to say that word. And then uh, lastly, prayerfulness, prayerfulness. In verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Um, many of you have heard this passage before. Maybe maybe it's something you memorized, and maybe you should memorize it. When you hear that, it says, don't be anxious about anything. And if we'd be honest, this idea of anxiousness or worrying or uh, the idea, you say, why not? Why not? Um, 
And, and sometimes, uh, depending on who you are, some, some of you pride yourselves in being the power of positive thinking, and others, uh, uh, you think your superpower is being anxious, right? Uh, I, I want to tell you that uh, both of those are, aren't wrong or right. Let's think about this right now. So um, if somebody, uh, how many of you have ever worried about getting sick? How many of you have worried about getting sick? Raise your hand, please, now. Okay, and uh, you, you know, uh, somebody, sometimes people catch you in your thoughts. You have that look on your face, like you're thinking about something, and your spouse says, "What are you thinking about right now?" And you try to change your mind right then, so you're thinking about something more presentable than what they asked about, right? But uh, you say, "Well, I'm afraid I'm going to get sick," and you say, "Oh, what well, are you feeling? No, I feel fine. I feel fine." Uh, well, are there any symptoms? No, not really. Not really. I just, I just think maybe I'm going to get cancer. Why do you think you're going to get cancer? I don't know. Read it on the internet. People get cancer. I knew somebody who got cancer one time. And, and, and sometimes we look at that person and we say, that's so silly. <laughs> that's so dumb. Why, why, are you, why are you being so dumb right now? You have no symptoms. It's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Quit thinking about it. It's not going to happen. Well, the, the, the worrier and the power of positive thinking person got together on that one, right? Who, who's right? Who's right? You know, some of you who have worried about getting cancer, guess what? You got cancer. There were no symptoms. There was nothing that you just, you just thought maybe you'd get cancer. Well, uh, and the, the person who thought, oh, that's silly. It'll never happen. It did happen. <laughs> so... So how do we get through this? This idea of not being anxious. I can imagine the church at Philippi as they were reading this. And they heard, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Um, There's so funny. Uh, One of the ladies of the church told me this in the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, I I said something about calm down or something like that. And and she laughed and said, yeah, that always helps saying that, you know. When someone's uh, freaking out, when you just tell them to calm down, they go, oh, okay, great. I, I didn't know. Uh, calm down. Uh, yeah, remember that. Calm down. I am calm. Uh, uh, but th- this idea of don't worry or don't be anxious, how was that helpful for the church at Philippi? I'm sure as they were thinking about what they could be anxious about, first of all, most of the time you don't have to think that hard, Right? It's right there. It's right there. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about right now? Oh, do you have an hour or two or three or four? I can go through the top 10 at least, you know. Uh, and uh, there are things to be anxious about. And, and the, it's, it's reality. It's even the idea of you laying in bed at night and going through your life of what could happen and what things are like right at the door, if you will. And for us to go, oh, man, I, I just can't handle it. And yet he says, don't be anxious. And, and how does that come together? And, and I, I, I wonder if uh, he says, don't be anxious about anything. He, the, their, their response initially was this. No, we are anxious about everything. Not anything, but everything. We are anxious. Um. How can you stop worrying and being anxious? Is to know 
that it's taken care of. It's to know that, that it's going to be okay. He says, uh, and, and these two go together, prayerfulness and anxiousness. Ness, less, ness. Yeah. Long word, lots of letters there. Um, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The trigger of our worries, the anxiousness of our heart, should trigger us to pray, to pray. That's the response. In fact, we can't obey the first part without doing the second part. Our anxiousness cannot be put to rest just by a mind game, if you will. If it is, uh, it's a bad mind game. It's not based on the truth. Oh, I'll never get cancer. I'll never get in an accident. That'll never happen to me. Only good things will happen to my life. If you live that way, I want to tell you that it'll compound when bad stuff does happen because it'll rock your worldview. He says, don't be anxious, but in everything. The anything and everything kind of go together. You can you cannot be anxious. You can follow the command of not being anxious about anything if in everything we pray, we pray and bring those things to the Lord. He uses two words here, prayer and supplication. And most likely, they're, they're very similar words, but uh, most likely the, the prayers initially are prayers for others, prayers for others that we're concerned about, prayers for your kids and your spouse and, and the people in your church and your family members afar and even people that you don't really know that you just know things are going on and it makes you nervous or things out there and then uh, the, those prayers for those people but also uh, the prayers for yourself the supplications the things that you're asking the Lord for you're asking him it's real simple right the things that we're anxious about are, are a potential mess or a present mess, right? Things that aren't right in our minds. And so what, what are we supposed to do with those? How are we supposed to handle those things? We're supposed to pray about them. We're supposed to uh, bring those to the Lord. Uh, the words here are interesting because um, they're just words of prayer, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. Uh, made known to God, made known to God. It's this uh, idea that we are handling and communicating with the Lord about all these things. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's interesting. um, Many times when it talks about prayer, it connects prayers of asking with prayers of thanksgiving. It's interesting, there's, there's a connection in that relationship with our, with our Lord. That we are not coming to Him as someone who doesn't know His goodness. We are not coming to Him fresh and new. I, I guess there is one day where it's the first prayers you've prayed. But, it, but even those, you know, you're basing it upon Him saving you. And it, so as you come to the Lord, part of your prayer is reflecting on how good he has been to you, to thanking him. And, and I want to tell you that uh, your anxious thoughts, your anxious thoughts of today 
need to be put in light of the things that you're thankful for in the past. Has God been good to you? You think about that. Maybe, maybe this week you're going to get some bad news about your health. And you say, I don't know how I can face that. I want to tell you how to face it is to reflect on how good God has been to you in the past. And that same God who has been good to you in the past, that you have thanked him for what he has done, he can handle whatever's going on in your body for the days to come. And so uh, always connecting with thanksgiving, right? To be thankful. And as we share these prayers, supplications with thanksgiving, it says, uh, bring those requests, make them known to God. Make them known. Our requests are connected, and, and really, it's the corrective action to our anxious thoughts. How can you quit worrying? Start praying. How do you answer your worries? Pray. If you, if you find yourself freaking out, what should you do? Pray. You should pray and trust those things to the Lord. I want to tell you that if um, you know, we sang a song today, I need you, right? I need you. That's, that's that idea, right? As we look at the things that we run out on and make us anxious, we transfer the, in our hearts the responsibility of those things over to the Lord. By the way, he's already on it, right? He already can be trusted. He already can be trusted. He already cares about us. And so we uh, bring those things, and it's the thing that corrects us. I want to tell you, I haven't even gotten to the best part of my message today. This is my favorite part. As I read this this last week, and I said, I, I, wanna, I almost want to skip through the other stuff just to get to this verse right here, okay? But it's the Word of God, and it's all good, and it all works together, okay? So we have the three pieces. What are they? Joyfulness, reasonableness, <laughs> prayerfulness. These are the three things. And, and as you look through this, probably what comes next is most connected to this idea that we are trusting the Lord in prayer for the things that make us anxious. But I want to tell you that as we obey God, as we uh, do life the way he calls us to, there's going to be benefit for us right now, today. Uh, eternal life is secure in uh, our relationship with him. Jesus paid it all. But there's benefits today uh, for me to obey God. And these are commands. Uh, we are to pray. We're not to be anxious. We are to let people know that our gentleness. We are to rejoice. But what does it say in verse 7? It says this, that we will receive. We will receive. It will be ours. The peace of God. The peace of God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. The peace of God. So, some of you say, well, you know, I, I come from a long line of people who freak out all the time. Uh, my mom and dad were crazy. They couldn't handle life. And I, I saw them do that. And so I've kind of taken on that mode. Uh, you know, it's part of my heritage. You know, uh, whatever nationality you are, you say, this is just how crazy we are. You know, this is what we do. I want to tell you that that's not true. That's not true. 
that how we get the peace of God, that may be part of your family heritage passed down, but the peace of God comes from a relationship with God. And, and the peace of God comes from us obeying him, rejoicing, reasonableness, prayerfulness. Get that, get that, that we would be God's people, that we would be trusting him. It's interesting, this this usage right here is one of the only ways it's, it's like this in the, in the scripture. But that the peace of God is ours. It's ours. I, I think about this and I, I says, I was thinking about how, how does all this work? It's his, it's his peace, right? It's the peace that God has. That same peace of God that he always has, he gives to us. He gives it to us. As we walk with him, it's ours now. It's the thing that we have. It, it replaces the, you, you think about who God is and uh, as he never wrings his hands. He, he never gets that, that pained look on his face where he goes, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm afraid about tomorrow. He never has that. He never has that. He peacefully is working out his plan. And that's what he gives us as we trust him in prayer. He gives it to us, this peace that that we have. But wait, there's more. So this peace that we have, it it surpasses uh, all understanding. It's the idea that the resources that we didn't have that we should worry about prior, right, we can't handle life. It sh- we should worry about it. We should become anxious about it. But now, trusting him in prayer, we receive the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. We can't understand how powerful and rich we are because of God. That all the problems that we might run into, or even create for that matter, uh, that God's power and his riches that we have in him, are overwhelmingly enough for anything that's going on down here. He will be enough for you. So it surpasses all understanding. And then it says this, this will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard them. Um, Your heart and your mind, that, that's all your intellect and all your person inside your inner man. It's putting those together. It's, it's your thoughts that run wild and uh, are, seem like you can't control. He says, I'm going to take your inner person and I'm going to protect it. And I'm going to guard it. If you can picture, uh, you, you know, your house, maybe some of you have... Uh, uh, you know, some kind of protection device or locks and, you know, alarms and all these things. And and we realize that they're insufficient. But he says, no, no, no. How you're going to be protected will be through my peace. The the way you're going to sleep easy at night is because you're going to have my peace. The peace that I have, you're going to have. And it will guard you. It will be the the um, the security guard for your heart and your mind. I always think uh, 
you know, the security is only as good as the security guard, right? Uh, I remember a situation when I was going to college, there was a, uh, a security gate, very, very similar to our gate uh, down here in Bear Valley. And, and um, it was funny because the school was very old and they'd had a, a, you know, for a long period of time and a little bit in decline. And uh, they had um, some older men who were in charge of the security uh, gate. And I remember coming home late at night one time and we were out, you know, having a great time or whatever and we were laughing and we could have stayed out much later and we go by the security gate and the man who's in there is, got his head back and he is snoring loudly. And we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. You know why? Because it wasn't any security. It wasn't any. He was sleeping on the job. I want to tell you, the security for our heart and mind, God is not sleeping. He's, not, he's on the job. His peace is ours. He's given it to us and granted it to us. We look at this and we realize that this is all ours in Christ Jesus, in Him. Because of our relationship, uh, we have the peace of God, and it is the thing that guards us. Uh, it is the reason we can sleep easy. I want to give you three questions today as we conclude our time. First one is this, what are you known by? What are you known by? Um, these three things are tools for the life of the believer. Um, and these are the things that should mark us. Uh, this is what we should be known by. Joyfulness, reasonableness or gentleness in the midst of crazy times. Prayerfulness. What are you known by? Second question. What answers your anxiousness? What answers your anxiousness? What do you do when you begin to worry? I want to encourage you. Uh, don't Google it. Don't Google it. The answer is not on the interwebs, okay? The answer for your anxiousness it is that the Lord would be your peace, that, that he would be the one, that, that we would be prayer in prayer about these issues, that we would trust him with this. What answers your anxiousness? And then lastly, what guards your castle? What guards your castle? I shared with you, uh, Zach and I were talking, and he was sharing with me that uh, that this is the picture. This is the picture. Why, why is it okay? Why is the castle okay? The castle is okay because the king is on his throne. The king's not on his throne. Doesn't matter how many doors or, you know, centuries or whatever, whatever you have, it's not enough. But because the king is on his throne, you know that the castle's secure. And what guards your life, your heart and your mind? What is it? Is it the peace of God? I want to tell you, that's the only thing. That's the only thing that will be enough for you. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, uh, I, I ask that you would remind us of your word. I thank you that you I have given us this amazing passage. I'm grateful for its impact and how it answers uh, the questions that we have right now, right now about the things that are going on in our lives. And, and so God, help us to trust you, help us to walk with you and, and not uh, let our flesh be the one to dictate what goes on in our lives. God, thank you for giving us all that we need uh, for this life and 
for all of eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.